0: Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson
1: and I'm Brian Bolt.
0: We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sport scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith.
1: Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome Dr. Tracy Trothan, an ethicist jointly appointed to the School of Religion and the School of Rehabilitation Therapy at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. Dr. Trothan is a prolific scholar who has focused on sport and human enhancement technologies like biohacking and artificial intelligence, raising many ethical and spiritual questions about humanity, embodiment, and sport. It's a fascinating topic,
0: so let's get started. We're so excited to have Tracy on the show today. Tracy, tell us a little bit about sport in your life.
2: Ah, uh, well, thank you. First of all, so it's so great to be here, Chad and Brian. Thank you for having me. Um, sport in my life—I've had a long-standing relationship with sport. It seems I look back to 1972 when, in grade school, uh, during the uh, Canada-Russia Summit Series, they took all of the kids into the gymnasium to watch the final. Um, the final game. And it was just incredible. And that was enough to get me hooked on sport if I wasn't already. Uh, Since then, I played hockey in high school. I was one of the few girls in high school to play ice hockey. And I I was never that great at it, but I enjoyed it immensely. In the last um, couple of decades, long distance running has been really important to me. Uh, Lately, it's been less long and a little bit shorter. But um, the meditative and calming part of running out in nature, especially is, is incredibly important to me. So I, I just, uh, I I think that sport is so incredibly important and valuable to so many of us.
0: Such a robust answer there. You're absolutely right. And I, I would agree with you. I think the meditative aspect, the sort of calming influences of especially distance running is important. Um, that's great. We'll be able to explore that a little bit more. How about if you tell us a little bit about, uh, faith in your life?
2: Uh, That's another big question, an important question. I'm an ordained United Church of Canada minister. I was ordained in the 90s, and uh, the church has always been important to me in my life. I see the church as both a a spiritual force as well as a a community, and a place to look at such big global issues as social justice uh, from a faith perspective. So for me, a lot of my spirituality, again, I I find in, in nature. And uh, nature is at least as important to me as um, church buildings are. Uh, they're both important, but uh, uh, being outside is, is crucial for me. Um, I've taught theology to ministry students for many years. Uh, when our theology programs were discontinued, at, um, at Queen's University in uh, Canada. I ended up uh, teaching in religion and in the School of Rehabilitation Therapy. And I still get to teach a lot of courses in the area of spirituality, ethics, and aging, and sport, um, and ethics and AI too.
1: Yeah, and I think you've previewed a lot of wonderful topics for us to explore in our time with you, Tracy. I'm really excited to kind of get into those. But before we do, you're a, a hockey player, you are a runner, you're you're also an ordained minister. What else could there be? But I'm wondering, is there is there something about your life that you might want to share that could help our listeners get to know you?
2: Uh, Great question. Well, a little known fact, I love mystery novels, especially by authors like Louise Penny, who's a Canadian who just writes incredible books that gets me hooked. So I I try to uh, read, uh, treat myself to at least one mystery novel a week. And that's been an ongoing habit of mine for decades.
0: Love it.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, we have not had a mystery novel reader. Uh, So that's kind of exciting for us to and we could maybe go down that path. I'm wondering, you know, you ended your last um, answer with this idea of AI, and that's going to be intriguing right from the start. I wonder if you could just give us a little background of your work uh, overall, and then we'll talk a little bit more about your more specific uh, chapter that you've recently written.
2: Sure. I'd be delighted to a colleague of mine, Calvin Mercer, and I just published a book in 2021 called Religion and the Technological Future, an introduction to biohacking, artificial intelligence and transhumanism. So I've been long interested in uh, the ethics of AI and how that might relate to to religion. But then I also connect that to sport. So the big questions around how does technology affect sport? How are athletes using technology? What are we creating that we think makes sport and athletes better? How do we decide what makes athletes and sport better? We often don't even explore that. Uh, that whole idea that to be better just means that that you're your chances of winning are, are greatly increased. Well, what if better means means something different than that? And there's so many things happening in AI lately. Um, just briefly, this last, uh, these last few days, I was in Boston. Uh, I got to take a tour of the Affective Computing Lab at MIT with a small group of us and speak to one of the scientists there. Uh, so we were talking about... What does computing and AI, what do they have to do with emotions and human well-being and flourishing? Um, and one of the things that there, some of the scientists are working on is clothing that, um, that has telemetry sensors in it that can uh, give feedback about what, both some physical cues that might indicate um, an athlete's uh, emotions. So then I started wondering, well, how will that be used? Uh, what makes for a better emotion for an athlete? It's
0: really interesting. I, I get the sense that we're getting beyond um, mood rings that would change color, right? When, you're, when, you, when your mood changes, we're getting into something that's, that's much more, more advanced, much more in depth. It's really interesting that you talked about that. Uh, I'm remembering back to 2014 when uh, during the World Cup, the Men's World Cup, uh, the FIFA world cup Nike had this video. Uh, it, it was a, it was a commercial really, but a long commercial and it featured, um, this, the storyline. What, what would it look like if the best soccer players in the world were to take on, um, these automated soccer players created by this evil, uh, this evil artificial intelligence doctor down in, in the basement of some engineering lab, um, you know, what, what would that look like and what would that be like? And it seemed like the end of the story was that um, human creativity that that the actual human players show displayed and the joy that came from that was able to overcome these automatons. And of course, they were, you know, the, the winners were wearing Nike shoes, of course. But I, I'm wondering... What, how that plays into what you're seeing now about the, the change in, in affect? What is, what is that specifically going to look like for sports besides, you know, a, a company like, for instance, Nike, you know, taking on this idea that you have to be wearing Nike shoes in order to be able to defeat uh, all evil in the world? What, what does this actually look like here uh, for athletes and based on the conversations you've been having, the research that you've done? Wh- what are we looking at?
2: Oh, that is a great question. I love that Nike story too. Um, Well, you know, we could think of uh, athlete gymnast Simone Beals from the Olympics uh, just recently and her prioritizing of her mental health. So if good mental health is key to the flourishing of athletes uh, and the goodness of sport, then I would hope that... Uh, some of this new affect tech, computing tech might be able to make us more aware of the emotions that we're feeling. Uh, They were talking to scientists, uh, one of the scientists at the lab about the possible um, ability of us to predict depression with different cues that we can use through AI and and discover those cues. Uh, If that's possible, then wouldn't it be wonderful if we could use it in sport to predict when athletes or anyone involved in sport are having, are starting to have emotional struggles? And then we could get help um, offered to them uh, more quickly before there's an even bigger crisis. Because all of us struggle at different times with our emotional well being and our health. Now, if, on the other hand, uh, winning is considered everything, then there's a risk, I think, of using some of that technology to potentially uh, dispense more medication with the hope of just getting the athletes uh, back in the field and squeeze more out of them. And and that's not going to be so good. So if we're going to make these enhancements work well, including these affective enhancements, then I think we really need to be taking a close intentional look at what our values are in sport. And if the value is just about winning, then I think we, we have a lot of dangers in front of us. But if it's really about human flourishing, then we're going to be looking at how we can use tech to make us all more holistically better, including spiritually better.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, fascinating stuff. And you caught me there. Uh, I went immediately to performance and uh, this whole idea of um, affect and how that might um, aid or, or help people when they think about what, what it would take to be uh, a winner in a particular context. And I, and I go immediately sort of in the world of psychology. Is it, is it, like an extreme fear of failure that that may make a difference? Or is it extreme confidence that makes a difference? And if we're able to detect those sorts of things, how would we get there? And then the shift to uh, this idea of wh- holistic flourishing, this whole Simone Biles taking a moment and actually being received really well, like in a context where uh, just, just at my age, I, I thought, oh, the immediate knee jerk, suck it up and get in there, Simone, you've got this, um, is balanced, right, with the way that we think about the pressures and anxieties that not only sport, but just life in general puts on people. So I, I wonder if you start thinking about that, I know you you um, sort of specialize at looking at the ethical intervention, the, the eth- ethical aspects of these interventions. Uh, how does that, Uh, sort of translate when you're working with practitioners, when you're working with a coach or an athlete? Is it, is it well received? And um, I guess, tell me how some of those conversations go.
2: Oh, that's, that's a great question, Brian. Yeah. uh, I think it must, it must have been a real struggle for Simone Biles to, um, to state so clearly what her needs were uh, and, and to, um, withdraw from the competition. The pressure to win, like you said, is so deeply embedded, especially in elite sport, that it is very difficult to even intentionally consider other values. Uh, So, right, what does it mean to look at values besides, besides winning? And if we do look at values besides winning from an ethics perspective, how might that change the conversation about what we choose to cultivate in sport. So it's easy to think about, well, it's somewhat easy to think about how tech use in sport might affect the spiritual dimension of sport. But that reverse question of how a valuing of spirituality in sport might affect the tech we choose and the tech we create to make us even better athletes really changes the conversation. So from an ethics perspective, my biggest question is how can tech really make sport better?
0: The reverse question, right? This is this is the difficulty of it. So we have these two-sided questions here and we have different stakeholders coming to the conversation with with different value priorities, right? I, I can remember at one point in time, maybe a decade and a half ago, talking to a Christian audience about uh, um, genetic enhancement in sport, and saying that one of the uh, one of the questions that, that often gets disregarded is uh, um, why why would we why would we care about uh, you know sort of playing God that is doing things that we weren't capable of doing in the past that was left to to providential design or or whatever, and and the Christian audience. Uh, uh, said well, well we have these values we always bring these values to the to the table this is this is how we are and uh, who we are and how we live and and i wonder what your experiences have been tracy navigating through some of these questions uh, especially from a sort of a spirituality and theological standpoint understanding that there's plenty of people in the sta- in in the world of sport in the world of health and medicine that would not espouse uh, specifically christian or even spiritual values at all when when trying to determine how we should be using some of these technologies for good, we hope, and not for evil. You know, what's what's some of the ethical rationale that people are using in conversations you're having with them?
2: Uh, another great question, Chad. Uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, the question about, from a theological perspective of God's sovereignty and who are we meant to be? How are we meant to play sport? How are we meant to use technology? Uh, From a faith perspective, these are really, really big questions. Uh, I think that a lot of them go back to those questions of theological anthropology or what it means to be human. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human from a faith perspective? What does it mean to be human in sport, especially as we get bombarded with more and more technological options for making us supposedly better? And then the other question that I heard you you put out there, which is so very important, is how do we have these conversations in the public square? How do we we make sense of these questions um, from a uh, from a variety of different worldviews and perspectives, faith based worldviews as well as secular worldviews? I think that maybe a key point, a key place to go is that virtue ethics question of human flourishing. What does it mean to flourish as human beings? Uh, Regardless of how we come at that question, theologically or from a secular perspective or other defined uh, faith perspective, I, I suspect that there's going to be some potential overlaps in how we might deliberately see human flourishing. Certainly in uh, media, we're becoming becoming collectively more and more aware of the importance of emotional well-being. Uh, Emotional well-being certainly connects to spiritual well-being. Uh, What is it that grounds us? What is it that sustains us? From a spiritual needs perspective, We can look at different uh, spiritual assessment approaches that uh, identify core spiritual needs. For example, one core spiritual need that gets talked about in different ways uh, from most perspective is that of self-worth and belonging to community. There's a lot of agreement that sport offers us a lot in terms of community and sustains us relationally that way. Uh, Faith perspective brings a a particular way of looking at at questions of of belonging and, and relationship. But I think that belonging and relationship is a conversation and a topic that has meaning for everybody. So, for me, if we're talking about human flourishing, we're talking about how to use technology in sport by athletes. We have to ask that, that big common question of what does it mean to truly make us better? How do we flourish? And it's not just about me. Virtue ethics lets us know that, uh, um, we can't approach a true virtue ethics from a, um, a uh, really strong individualistic perspective, but we need to always ask the question of uh, how does my well-being connect to everybody else's well-being? How does well-being of athletes in sport spin off and connect to the well-being of many others globally?
1: So when you talk about that idea of human flourishing, and you you certainly expand it beyond the individual to include a community or a group of people or all of us in relation to, to one another. I wonder in the world of sport, if there are some examples of trends where you've seen, or even particular uh, technological changes or interventions that you would say, yeah, I think this is really enhancing human flourishing. If there's a practical example where you say, you know, we used to do it this way, but now this intervention has made this kind of difference. Uh, and then maybe you choose to do the flip side of that question and you can do both or, or just one of them. Uh, What, what are we missing? What trend is uh, maybe you would put in the category of ominous or where we're, we're uh, potentially careening uh, to a place where human flourishing uh, will be diminished. Uh, I wonder if you could try to put uh, some sort of practical connection there.
2: Fantastic question, Brian. Yes, uh, a simple, maybe maybe a simple example of a technology that could enhance in theory collective human flourishing in sport would be um, good running shoes that aren't excessively, uh, don't cost an excessive amount. So uh, a pair of good shoes can preserve our bodies and make us healthier, Whereas if we have a pair of shoes that don't give us any kind of support, we're going to hurt ourselves, we're much more likely to hurt ourselves. If we're out running or walking, hiking, whatever it is we do, uh, there are lots of fantastic programs in the world that um, refurbish shoes and make them available to others who may not have access to good shoes in, in some parts of the world or who may not have um finances to be able to uh, devote any money to a pair of decent running shoes. So we're trying I see lots of uh, ways of making some of that that basic equipment of a good shoe accessible. And I think technology is becoming uh, it's becoming cheaper to produce a decent shoe uh, as time goes on. Now, the super duper Nike vapor flies, no, that that really just widens a gulf between people who have lots of money and those who do not. But I I, I really do believe that basic access to uh, fairly simple equipment can make a huge difference in people's well-being, uh, help preserve uh, body health, as well as encourage the experience of play. And, and the experience of competition um, at a, a good, healthy, healthy level. Uh, on the more exclusive side, so we get into social justice issues uh, here, because not everybody will have access to this by any means. I don't have access to it, but orthobiologics for more elite athletes can, um, can, can really help speed healing. Um, so using platelet-rich plasma therapy, Um, and what is not quite clear whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing. It can speed the uh, healing of injuries. So that could be a good thing, but maybe not as socially just. Uh, The use of ultrasound, right? Other um, medical therapies that are fairly accessible, but again, not accessible to everybody. But ultrasound is pretty uh, easily found, I think, in most countries, but I could stand corrected there, um could be helpful in assisting in healing from injuries so allowing us to get back out there and experience physical activity that makes us healthier on many aspects of being and allows us to connect in community uh, so there there are other technologies that again the problem I think is mostly how we access them economically and, uh, not just economically, but but where the resources are even available, but they could be good things in terms of um, helping us enhance spiritual dimensions like uh, experiencing hope in the playing of a sport, um, you know, experiencing connection and community, all those, all those good things. Uh, we can talk about uh, different technologies like the technology we're using right now to record this podcast that enables us to connect from a distance. So too with sport, Um, immersive technologies now, immersive technologies are very expensive, can allow athletes to uh, experience a stadium or a place of competing that they can't get to physically. Um, It's quite, it's, it's really cool, but that's not a technology that most of us are going to experience in the foreseeable future. Although when I say that, I'm mindful that these technologies are increasing at a very rapid uh, rate, and it may well be that we'll see people using Zoom to uh, maybe there's a group of people doing, and I've experienced this myself, yoga together, right? That you're not together in in this pandemic especially, but you can be together through Zoom. So how wonderful is that to enhance community, that spiritual aspect of community and belonging, but you're, you're on your own, you're safe um, virus wise, you're on your own, but it's, uh, it's still about connection. On the flip side, right, what are the, some of the big dangers? Well, I can, uh, allow me to, to use my um, terrible imagination for a few minutes here to see where we might go. There's one, one enhancement area is uh, moral bioenhancement. And this is something I've, I've written a bit about. Um, so how do we make ourselves better morally? Can we instill values and virtues biologically through, through a drug potentially or through brain stimulation potentially? And brain stimulation is used in, in sport, not just to stave off exhaustion and pain, but also, um, you know, also to make us potentially, uh, better in community, uh, more altruistic potentially. But the risk there with brain stimulation is that we could change our personalities. We don't know for sure what it's doing to our brain. Uh, scientists are theorizing that again, for some people it may really change us. So I do not recommend just using brain stimulation randomly, unless you have a, you know, a medical condition wherein you could really benefit from it. But uh one form of moral bioenhancement is the enhancing the increasing of oxytocin, which is a hormone uh, that makes us more trusting, makes us bond together more, uh, potentially makes us more altruistic. But there's a caveat here, and that is it bonds us only to kin, to those who are in our in-group, our mm. team, our sports family. And in doing that, it can increase hostility towards the outgroup or towards the other team. So it potentially could be used to make us bond together more as a team, but to be even more hostile against the opposition. And then say we combine that with something like genetic modification technology that can reduce our capacity to feel pain, or even genetic modification technology that could be used to reduce our capacity to feel remorse. That kind of technology is being developed right now in military circles. You can imagine how how that could be used there uh, with the idea of reducing PTSD. But we have to ask, besides reducing PTSD, what else could the reduction of remorse do to our relationships, especially when it's combined with something like oxytocin or um, the capacity to feel pain. Uh, I can imagine sports getting pretty vicious. Like, sports are already pretty vicious. But, or, or add to that, you know, it, the increase of um, physical strength through um, genetic modification of IGF-1 or other uh, areas of uh, the genome that that could result in greater muscular strength. And we could have a much more hostile sport world, we could also end up enhancing ourselves to the point where we make sport too easy. For instance, if baseball players get home runs easily uh, because um, they're able to swing the bat in a certain way, they're able to uh, have greater... um, Strength, they're able to um, get more real time feedback through uh, uh, sensory hackers, and equipment has enhanced the ability to hit a ball farther, uh, more strategically. So, supposing we have all that, and yeah, we've got all these home runs home runs will become devalued. They're not mm-hmm. gonna give us that sense of awe, elation, transcendence, that I think we really need and yearn for in our spiritual lives and in our everyday lives.
0: Well, we definitely had plenty of home runs around 2000, I believe, in, in Major League Baseball. It was really interesting, right? And and, and of course, everyone talked about uh, uh, performance enhancement as an issue having to do with, with drugs specifically. Uh, synthetic testosterone, maybe the beginnings of human growth hormone use in in Major League Baseball players. And that seems to be sort of the the default for people, right? If If we think about enhancement in sport, we automatically think about performance enhancement. If we think about performance enhancement, we, we sort of uh, uh, reduce that down to, to taking steroids or taking other types of drugs, right? And what I love about the work you've done, Tracy, is that you're broadening this conversation, right? Enhancement can include so many different things, not just uh, the use of drugs to enhance one's body within sport. You're talking about moral bio enhancement. We're talking about uh, eight mechanisms that would, would alter our, our affect. So, so emotional regulatory enhancement, for instance all of these different ways that we can affect a human being playing sport or even not not playing sport. But th- these are such fundamental questions in sport having to do with equity and fairness. How are we able to um, get at and use these things? And then that gets at bigger questions about humanity in general. I just, I, I love that. I want to ask about one particular type of enhancement that, uh, that you're discussing in a recent book chapter. This is in, in the book called Training the Body, Perspectives from Religion, Physical Culture and Sport edited by David Torvald, Clyde Palmer, and Paul Rowan. And you have a chapter in there uh, that's that's called Corporeal Enhancement and Sports Spiritual Dimension of Virtue Ethics Proposal. You, you've talked about virtue ethics a little bit. I'm wondering if you can describe a little bit of, of, of what this chapter is about, specifically corporeal enhancement. What's, what's that that you're talking about?
2: <laughs> Good question. Well, corporeal enhancement was actually the focus that the editors asked us to take. I don't know if I would have Use that uh, that that term for my chapter specifically, but they're right um, in that they're talking about the human corpus, the human body, um, the, the embodied human. So, what does that have to do with enhancement ethics? And you know, how do we how do we make ourselves as embodied people who play sport or who are fans and enjoy sport um, even better? How do we enhance? It's interesting because the term enhancement is one way of framing this whole conversation. But in the chapter I talk about how, you know, other times we'll use the term doping um, versus enhancement. And what word we select shapes the moral conversation that follows. If we talk about enhancement, we're more apt to be thinking about, well, we're making ourselves better. This is this is great. If we say doping, yeah, what do you think of right away? Right, you think of banned substances right, and cheating right, and good. nasty, nasty things, uh, and all of these things classify as potential, possible enhancements or or, or doping uh, in, in sport. So, what does it mean from a virtue ethics perspective to approach these questions? Uh, I proposed a virtue ethics perspective because. The more typical perspective of a decisionist ethics approach is about deciding which enhancement is good and which is bad, which we allow, which we put on a a banned list. Whereas a virtue ethics approach says, what do we use to make ourselves better people? What do we use to flourish as not just individuals, but as a global community? And that's a harder question, and it doesn't mean that we don't need a list of banned substances. We still do. Uh, there has to be, I think, certain bottom lines, but as technology proliferates, it's harder and harder to cover all the different possible ways of using technology or, you know, um, pharmaceuticals in sport. It just gets harder and harder and harder. We can't keep up with all of them. So if we take an approach that ask the question and we try to instill this question asking in sports participants from a young age, I think, it might might be more possible for us to develop a culture of what it is that we value and, and why in sport that will help us to be more intentional about what we use in sport and what we don't. I'm not sure if that answers your question, Chad.
0: Oh, it does for sure, yeah, thanks.
1: You know, Tracy, you've, you've just whetted our appetite a little bit to this work. I mean, largely it's, um, it's changing the narrative on what we had always thought of in terms of enhancement or doping or any, th- any language we might use to, to reframe it to consider human flourishing. And as you described in your previous uh, answer I mean, there are uh, wonderful upsides to think about this, and then there are those, those perilous downsides. Uh, I mean, I know you read mystery novels, but I think you probably all also engage in a few dystopian novels. I mean, the way that we think <laughs> about just some of these things careening off the edge, and I, I wonder, I knew you were the right person to ask ask that question. Um I just want to thank you for coming on with us and uh, explaining some of this stuff to our listeners. And and we really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. It helps us get a handle on this embodiment, who we are as humans, uh, how that intersects in so many different ways. Our spiritual life, our our, uh, emotional life, our community life, our connections with the world and with each other. And I think it's it's a great way to intersect with sport, right? And to think about how sport plays into all that. And it's just wonderful too that in the midst of all that, you're you're a lover of sport, um, and that that just brings um, all of this into a place where we can we can talk about it together. So we really appreciate you being on. Uh, we really um, look forward to this book coming out with the the new chapter, and and uh, thanks for directing us to your work. Uh, and we're just excited to have you on Sport Faith Live.
2: Well, I'm delighted to spend this time with you, and I do think there's lots of hope for the future, for sport and technology, and for faith in sport. I, I think that spirituality can thrive through sport. There is much reason for hope.
1: Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests. So you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.